You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Max, and I'm joined here by none other than Andre Silva, Drake to those that like him, Drake to those that don't, really Drake to everybody but Cameron Katz, who still calls him Andres. It's a little bizarre, but he does it. Folks, we're really happy to be here with you on this Thursday. The energy has not dissipated. As y'all know, we are fans first, people second, podcasters third, and we love what we saw from our Florida State Seminoles last weekend. The more we dive into it, the more we are encouraged about the rest of the season, and today is going to be all about the three main position groups on offense other than quarterback. If you want to hear quarterback talk, go back to yesterday. And while you're going back there, hit us with that five-star review. Tell us what you love about us and tell us why you keep coming back every Monday through Friday, five days a week here at Locked on Seminoles. Drake, buddy, how are we? We're doing good, man. Doing good. I'm doing as well as the same question you asked me about an hour ago since we are recording back-to-back episodes. But hey, listen, folks, we want to give you the best content and the energy, as Max said, is alive. And Cam is not the only one that calls me that. Actually, my uncle, Gary, the only white guy in my entire family, calls me Andrea. So, Cam, you're an illustrious company, my guy. You It sounds like he is, man. Yeah, folks, if you don't know, now you know, we got day jobs. So, we got a lawyer another lawyer, and your resident liquor lobbyist bringing you all of the fan-focused Florida State stuff every day of the week. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, we got to record two episodes in the same night because, uh, you know, like I said, day job. So we're happy to be here. Thank you for stopping by. We love you because you let us talk about our favorite thing to talk about. So without further ado, Drake, let's talk about it, baby. What do we want to do first, O-line, running backs, or wide receivers? You know I'm partial to my fellow thicky, thicky, thick boys up front. Let's go to the online. Let's go with the big boys. So the offensive line, let me say this, because I wanted to do a whole episode on this, and then my co-hosts, they talked me down off the ledge. But we, we found a medium, a middle ground, and I'm glad we did. Folks, no one promised you this offensive line was going to win a bunch of awards. No one told you this offensive line was going to look like a Wisconsin offensive line. We said they were going to get better. We said we had nine guys on the two deep that had over a hundred starts between all of them with close to like 160 games played and they have a great coach and all of that meant they were going to get better. But you have to remember what better was getting better from. So with that in mind to kind of frame this conversation I honestly feel pretty good about this offensive line in that context. Do I feel like they're a big limitation? Yes. But do I think they're any worse than any other team out there projected to win five to seven games? No, not really. Drake, what about you? How would you feel about their performance on Sunday? And, and how do you feel? What is their, that performance due to your expectations? Just leave it the same, lower them, raise them. Oh, it doesn't change it at all. I mean, personally, I came into the year thinking that we will, like, at the end of the year, have a very average offensive line, which will be great. Now, folks, if you remember correctly, when the season starts, typically offenses are nowhere near up to speed as defenses are. That's one. Two, 
this is the second best defensive line that we're going to face all damn year. So it's kind of, you know, natural for them to struggle for a majority of the game. And three, a lot of guys, I think like a Dylan Gibbons or a Devon Love Taylor, haven't played a lot to, with each other and don't have the chemistry yet. So, of course, they're going to struggle against a team like Notre Dame with defensive line. And quite honestly, they actually got better as the game went along. And I have no problems with them whatsoever. I mean, they didn't play well, but that's literally like asking a, like a five-year-old to fight, you know, fight Mike Tyson in a boxing match. That kind of like to me was the equivalent of it. Yeah, I'm really happy you said that, Drake, because I agree. This was the first time in three or four years I've seen an offensive line improve as the game continued. And that it just shows that they've actually gotten better as offensive linemen. I think last year we saw a group where you could kind of scheme them up to look like they knew how to block for like three or four relatively scripted drives. Maybe after halftime, they'd have one good drive, but they weren't deep and they weren't really any good at blocking anyone. And this offensive line is legitimately better at blocking people. In fact, Shout out to Darius Washington, who is not who I would have guessed would have won this accolade. He graded out per pro football focus as a top 10 pass blocker playing at left tackle. So when's the last time we had a top 10 anything related to our offensive line, other than, of course, guys getting false starts, if you ranked that, you know, in a top 10 fashion. I would say, yeah, I mean, like, I was a big fan of him when he committed to us from Florida Tech. I remember he was a, t- a former teammate of Keyshawn Helton. And then a lot of people gave him flack last year for, I want, I forgot what game, it, I think it was Georgia Tech game. He's like, I wouldn't say it was a bad loss. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the mentality. Like, he's he's trying to, like, if you listen to Jermaine Johnson and Mackenzie Milton, they kind of got the same sort of mentality. Like, no, the, ba- the loss is bad, but it's not a loss. It's a lesson. I think he has the same mentality moving forward. And D-Wash, to me, I mean, learning from a DLT, learning from a Dylan Gibbons, like, that's someone that moving forward is going to be a very, like, a linchpin of that line. And then, Robert Scott on the other side, I know we didn't have a great game, but I really am excited for the bookings with that. Yeah, I mean, look, was it a perfect unit? No, but we said last week in our preview episode, this year is all about progress, not perfection. And I don't think there was a single person in that stadium that didn't feel like we made progress. Now, were there some people that were a bit intoxicated, that were maybe a bit angry that we lost in the moment? You know, you heard a little bit of cussing in the corridors, et cetera. But I think that was the first time I've ever heard that much positive chatter after a loss. I, I'm not saying it's a moral victory, but I genuinely think you can take things away from losses. I think after 2014, we took away from that Oregon game that it was going to get bad and that we were in a lot of trouble headed into 2015. But I think in 2011 or 2012, that was 2011, we took a lot away from that Oklahoma loss. I mean, we walked out of that building knowing, hey, if EJ doesn't go down in that game, and if Kenny Shaw's play is called correctly, and I will go to my deathbed believing that Kenny Shaw caught the football, was knocked unconscious, and dropped the ball. It should have been called a completed catch, fumbled on the two-yard line, recovered by University of Oklahoma, pinning them deep right in front of our band in pre-Champions Club, one of our loudest sections. Anyway, we walked out of that loss going, hey, we might have a pretty good team here. And two years later, we're holding up a crystal ball. So I think this was a lot more Oklahoma and a lot less Oregon, but maybe that's just me. And the offensive line was a big part of that because I don't know the the numbers say they did well. My eyes tell me they did well. Holly tells me they do well. Stacey told me they did well, but no, the offensive line as a whole, <laughs> I think did, did phenomenal. I think under the circumstances, 
However, in relative to yeah, you know, where they to, were last year, yeah, right? whether they're like or saying they're world beaters. Yeah, exactly. Relative to last year and the year before that, I think they did what they better than what, honestly what we expect against Notre Dame of uh, defensive line. However, there is one thing that's going to worry me for the rest of the year to see how he does. We really need Maurice Smith to be healthy. He only played 14 snaps the entire game. I don't know whether it's a lower leg injury or there's something else is going on. I think Bavion was the, you know, spelled him for a lot. And Bavion graded out, I think, at 6.7 in pass blocking. Now, that was the one thing that we harped on a lot, that Bavion is good at one thing at one at a time. He can't snap and then block at the same time. So I'm just really, really worried moving forward if hopefully we can have a healthy Mo Smith move. So, and thank God we play Jacksonville State next week, this, uh, this coming week. Maybe give him you know, a little bit of time. Bavion can start that game and maybe bring out Mo Smith for Wake Forest. But that's the one thing I say will, will worry me because the snaps – probably cost us a few a few plays that game. Look, we didn't do great in run blocking, but I look at these pass blocking grades going down the line. You have Darius Washington, 86.3. Again, that puts him in the top 10 nationally for pass blocking. Most teams weren't, weren't playing a top 10 team when they got that grade. Dylan Gibbons, Notre Dame transfer, 75.7. I'd also like to quickly point out that the transfer into Notre Dame that did not listen to our hashtag, his pass blocking was a 30.7. So, but what really encouraged me is our second, our fourth and fifth best pass blockers were not offensive linemen. They were Jay Sean Corbin and Trey Sean Ward with Lawrence Toa Philly being our seventh best pass blocker. And when you see that you have three guys who all score 70 or better, and folks remember in PFF, if you're not familiar, is pro football focus. They have their, they have their, their flaws in their grading system, but they're relatively consistent and it's a good way to get an idea of how someone's playing. It's not like a 70 is a C. Like a 70 is very good. An 80 is otherworldly. And if someone gets a 90 or above, they're basically saying if that person had played on Sunday the exact way they just played on Saturday, they would have been an NFL starter. So we have seven guys scoring above 70, three of which are in our backfield. And when you think about what that can let you do from a pass pro standpoint, especially if you're now putting a McKenzie Milton back there is a little less mobile. That's really exciting. And we only had four penalties from offensive linemen. And if you asked me that question last year or the year before, I would say, no, probably get six or seven or four. And that's it. And only and two of them, I think, were on the yeah. one drive only. That's actually that's a step forward in the right direction. It's just kudos to Alex, Alex Atkins. It shows how much he's improved the offensive line as a whole. Folks, before I go any further, let me remind you, if your car's rod, rattling, maybe if it's PFF grades a little below 30 somewhere, you know, like it just transferred to Notre Dame from Marshall thinking it was all big and bad, Mr. All-American, and then goes out to be one of the worst blockers on the team and gets absolutely abused by a defensive line that had a total of four sacks last year, well, then you need to fix your car. And the way to do that is to go to rockauto.com. They've got a great selection of parts. They'll allow you to pick it out by, you know, you go make, you go year, make, model, what part of the car you need fixed. So you don't necessarily have to know like the exact part. But you're not a huge car guy or girl, but, you know, you can do enough to keep it moving. It's great. Selection's phenomenal. They ship it to you quickly. The prices are impeccable. You'll love it. Trust me. RockAuto.com. But Drew's daddy, let's get to our skill, folks. We talked a bit about the pass blocking of the wide receiver or of the, the running backs, but let's talk about the run blocking of the wide receivers, and then we'll talk about the fun stuff. 
I guess there's not that much to talk about. They did great run blocking. Let's talk about the fun stuff. What do you think about the skill position, guys? Yeah, Malik McLean's a dog, dude. I love Ooh. that kid. That kid was streaking down the sideline. That block on the Jason Corbin run just literally, like, we haven't seen, like, someone, like, actually go out and block someone like that since I know Keith Gavin. But if you even go back even for, like, Rashad Green was great at blocking. Travis Rudolph, to me, also was, like, even for being a small, tenacious guy, was great at blocking as well. Like, Malik McLean, I'm excited about. Darren Williamson, who I thought was not going to be a contributor at all, I thought he was one of those, like, random scholarship kids that we got, actually performed really well, especially with the solo pass, like, from Mackenzie Millen that actually extended the uh, extended the play. So, to me, it's, it's skill positions, you know. The wide receivers are dope, but I know you want to talk a little bit more about Trayshawn Ward. Well, first I want to talk about Malik McLean. He was our number one run blocker on the team. And, folks, run blocking is rated the same for every single player on the offense. So, a wide receiver was the best run blocker on the team for Florida State University. I didn't even know that was possible. Number two, Cameron McDonald. Number three, Darian Williamson. Number four, Ja'Kai Douglas. Our top four run blockers are all some kind of pass catcher. Think about what that does. It, now, I know where your mind wants to go, well, Max, isn't that, isn't that bad? I mean, shouldn't our offensive linemen be our best run blockers? Yeah, probably, but guess what? You can't milk a sheep, all right? We got what we got, so let's make some wool and try to sell that at the market, okay? When you've got your best running backs, best running backs, when you've got your four best run blockers also being guys that can catch the ball, you can set up a lot of trickeration. Because now, when Cameron McDonald goes to act like he's blocking, you've got to respect that because you know he's one of the best weapons at run blocking. Now you're setting up release routes, when Malik McLean comes out like he's going for a block and then he pops around and it's actually a stop route, that's going to throw you off because you're as a corner who's 180 pounds. You're seeing this absolute dog at six foot four come at you. You know, he's a great run blocker. You've seen it on tape and you're like, Oh shoot. I'm thinking run. You're already trying to brace for it. And boom, he turns around and he catches a dart from McKenzie. Look, I'm not here to write plays. My point is that's why that's such a cool thing to see. Not just, Oh, well at least they can block if the offensive line can't. Not only that, I mean, if you, I think a best way, if folks, if you actually want to watch like a team that's really, really good at it, look at Alabama. Alabama, for those of you that I mean, they had, I forgot the room, I think two, three years ago, they had Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and I want to say Jalen Walton at the same time. And then brought in John Meach the year after. They are so good, not only the routes, but they also, they're instructed and drilled into them that blocking when the running back, they're already a five star with Najee Harris or a, what's the word, Derek Henry that they are there to block as well as, as running routes. So to, with that being said, like with the running back table that we have, with a Jayshon Corbin, a Trayshon Ward who came out of nowhere and is, was, to me, the best back that day, and DJ Williams that we didn't even see play that much, that that to me shows that we're going to have a very dynamic offense and it's going to be everyone's going to be involved. And it might not be catches, it might not be targets, but everyone's going to be involved and everyone moving up as a cohesive unit. We're going to look good as a unit moving forward. Yeah, and you got to look good as a unit. And we can move on to running backs, and then we'll talk about leg two a bit. Jay Sean Corbin's second year's back. I fully expected when I saw him break that run, I was like, okay, cool. He's going to get 30, 40 yards, and then he's going to get drugged down from behind. And it didn't happen. That was incredible. Trayshawn Ward. So let me paint a picture for y'all, by the way. We were sitting in the Champions Club. I know. Humble brag. I'm the man. Just kidding. But by more, we're the bars. men. We're the men. Tom. Anyway, so <laughs> so we're sitting in the, we're sitting in the back end zone. So when your main three running backs are number eight, 
zero, number eight, and number nine, like when their jersey bunches up, it's kind of really hard to tell who's running the ball. So I had no idea who's running the ball half the time until after they'd announced it because Tofili's put on just enough size. Him and Trayshawn are similar size. You knew it was Jayshon because he turf tapes his arms. I kind of figured that out sort of quickly, and he's just, you know, a monster. But I didn't realize that was Trayshawn Ward running the ball. Probably his third or fourth carry. I thought it was Philly and Drake you, had to you, correct you asked me. me. You asked me about like, that. Yeah, I was like, who's Trayshawn Ward? I, Drake, I'm not throwing you under the bus because I thought the same. You're like, I think he might be a walk-on. Uh, like, we had to figure out if he was – he went to Tampa Bay Tech. We've, we've looked this up since then, but I don't know where the hell he came from, but he had – what he was on the field for 15 snaps had 11 carries for 76 yards. So he's running 6.9 yards a carry for a touchdown, got a 75.6 grade from pro football focus, pretty solid in the run blocking game. I don't see he, he had two targets. No, I'm sorry. He did. He was not a threat in the passing game other than blocking, but nonetheless, 6.9 yards a carry. Nice. Nice. I'll take it, man. That was that was a heck of a coming out party for him. Uh, Jay Sean Corbin, that second gear, I mean, that is, uh, if he can get his top end speed to what he got it to and we can create some holes for him on the outside, that's something else. And Toa Philly, I don't know. I don't know what to make of Toa Philly. It's the same story with him, bro. It's, uh, and, and don't, don't think this is I hate Toa Philly. I don't, or I'm hating on Toa Philly. But it's the same thing with him. It's bizarre, right? He has 5.7 yards of carry, but he only gets six attempts. So, like, there's something with him we're not seeing that the coaching staff sees with his durability or his inability, you know, where they need, like, a specific type of matchup to get him carries because his average is usually pretty high, but his number of carries and total yards is always pretty low. I I don't know if that's going to change. And I don't know if it needs to, if Corbin's running like that and Ward's doing what he's doing. I think that's exactly the point, though. I think you have a trash on Ward. Like, you know, P- like you said, PWO, he earned a scholarship this earlier this spring that who was, like, running lights out. And, like, we heard rumblings through camp that he was almost the best back in camp. To me, I was like, okay, you know, whatever. To me, it's, it's just basically camp running backs. I really don't care that much about that. But he proved me wrong on Sunday night. And you also have Jason Corbin, who is definitely back from his hamstring injury, as you said before. And then with Lawrence Philly, who, to me, he's much more of a threat when he gets the ball in open space because he does make people miss. He's kind of like the lightning to Jason Corbin's thunder. And that's kind of how I would put, picture it. But it's also that he's he's still extremely skinny. He didn't put on a, a lot of weight that we wanted. And yeah. if he's going to get popped, you know, at this level, I don't want the kid to get hurt. So, you know, limit the carries because also you can just put him in there for pass blocking and run blocking because he did well for both of those. So maybe just leave him those situational downs with that because I remember – the play that you highlighted, highlighted, I think it was the the third down play where he actually came out. He has that dynamic ability, but maybe he's going to spell him a little bit because you have a Jason Corbin, a Trayshawn Ward, and we'll see what will happen with DJ One moving forward if he gets into the game on Sunday, I mean, on Saturday. Yeah, I, I'm excited. And look, we've gone on way too long about this. I, I want to come back around to the thesis statement, and that is the O-line looked a lot better, but it's still this O-line, all right? They're... They're not great at run blocking. They've surprisingly gotten better at pass blocking, but they're actually backed up by some guys in the backfield who can do some pass blocking. The wide receivers were our biggest question mark. And for me, I mean, they answered it like final jeopardy. I look at the number of years left in this receiving core. We got Josh Burrell. We got Malik McLean out there. Andrew Parchment, I think, look, he's going to be a one trick pony. 
I disagree with that because that that touchdown pass. Talk about you're right. Travis, that was really that was highly contested. He that was it wasn't high. Cast. He came that was down a hard cast to bring. Yeah, down. yeah, that's fair. And then and then Jakai Douglas. I mean, look, we we knew Jakai Douglas was fast, right? His route running's really good. He clearly has great hands. To me, he was almost more. I can't say more surprising than Trayshawn Ward because I didn't expect anything from him either. But you look at a 81 receiving grade. You look at 80 yards on three catches and a touchdown. Ja'Kai Douglas was a huge surprise for me. I mean, I call him Megamind. Have you ever seen a picture of him? He's got a big forehead, but that man can run. That man, whoo, like that kid's talented. Now I can see why Norvell went all the way out to the booth to grab him. But I think, the, in my personal opinion, the best wide receiver I think we had on Sunday was Keyshawn Helton. And primarily, if you see the third, I think, what, 16, that Jordan Travis linked up with him on, that, that ball that he jumped off on and he got absolutely clotheslined from behind and he held onto that ball, he drops that last year. And not only that, the two-point conversion he converted on, did you see him shake that DB and go into the end zone? His knee I was back. I was I was admittedly buying a beverage during that two-point conversion. Oh, be- I, I saw how it happened, oh. sort of, but fill me in. So basically, he runs out to the flat. Mackenzie Milton, not sorry, Mackenzie Milton. Jordan Travis sees him on the side, tosses it. Oh, no, actually, no, it was Mackenzie Milton, sorry. It was Mackenzie Milton, tosses him to the side. He gets the ball. The DB is with him one-on-one. He dead legs him to the right. The DB is shook out of his ankles like an Allen Iverson video and just goes straight into the end zone. And to me, that's that shows that his cut is back. And more importantly, his confidence and mentality is back. And Keyshawn Helen, like I said on a podcast before the game, he needs to be our X factor. He needs to be your most dependable wide receiver. And I think he showed that on Sunday. Yeah. And look, to me, that catch where he almost got his head taken off, he has now been absolved for that drop against Louisville where it banged off both his hands and it was third and 15. And I felt like that's what let that game escalate into a blowout. But I want to talk about what this does for our expectations moving forward, because I think we've gotten all the good feelings out. Y'all are feeling the good vibes. We've gotten the analytics to you. We've told you what to look for. We've repeated what you saw, hopefully nailed the confirmation bias. So what does it do going forward? What does it mean? But before I can do that, I got to tell you about one more thing going forward. And that's the bets you're going to make on Saturday. Look, like I said, I may be retired, but a lot of you aren't. And I don't judge you for it. In fact, I support you because I'm a supportive friend. You support me by listening to my podcast. And I support you by bringing you the betonline.ag lines of the day. So we're going to take one here that might put Drake a little bit on the spot. But I'm curious to see how he's feeling about it. We have a road favorite, a team that I believe you all will probably speak about on Freestyle Fridays over on Locked On ACC. NC State is going down to Mississippi State, and they are now a two and a half point favorite. And I think Candace Cooper was saying she really liked what she saw from Devin Leary. I know you were saying you really liked what you saw from Devin Leary. Do you think it's going to be enough? It is NC State. Minus two and a half. Is that a good pick for the people? Or is the betonline.ag line of the day going to be a home underdog in Mississippi State? Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to, I would not be surprised if Mississippi State ends up being a public dog. Folks, I'm here to tell you right now, one of my rules of thumb is the problem with public dogs is that they all have fleas. They all have problems. Mississippi State needed a 21-point comeback to beat a Louisiana Tech team who some people were very high on. It's still Louisiana Tech. And NC State is probably the second best team in the Atlantic right now, as of right now, with Devin Leary, who actually has improved every single year. I wasn't super high on him until I learned a bit more from Ken Gids over at Lockdown Wolfpack. That defense 
It's nothing to be uh, nothing to be you know to shake your head about. Payne Wilson is going to be probably a ACC Defensive Player of the Year contender. So to me, folks, take them minus two and a half, and if you can find an alternate line, maybe the minus five and a half because NC State's going to win that game. And it's going to be a comfortable win. All right, folks, there you have it. That is your betonline.ag line of the game, NC State minus two and a half. If that line gets you a little bit nervous, if you're like, oh, man, I took the the NC State line as the betonline.ag line of the day, and I just don't know if it's going to work out, you might sweat a bit. But don't sweat the small stuff. Heck, don't sweat the big stuff. Don't sweat the hot stuff. Definitely don't sweat the cold stuff because you got sweat block. I'm a sweaty guy. You guys know this. I told you this, but it's now a ritual. Sunday night, hop out of the shower, boom, boom, sweat block, wipe on each armpit, go to sleep. I wake up, I go to the gym on Monday, come back, shower off. And my sweating is like, I won't quantify it because my attorney has told me not to say things that you all could measure directly if I haven't measured them myself. Well, they're great. They have a full, they have a deodorant. They've got some creams. If you sweat, Get sweat block and Driz. Thank goodness we had sweat block on Sunday because oh, Dude. we got to the tailgate at noon and people. I've never seen so many grown men at a tailgate not drinking alcohol because we ran through our waters, which we bought like fifty waters. And we Gatorade. ran through our waters in Gatorades faster than we ran through our beers because it was so hot. So get some sweat block, folks. Promo code locked on sweatblock.com. You know what it is. Anyway, man, let's move on to what we are looking at for leg two. And folks, leg two of the season is what we have defined as from now up until the North Carolina game. So we've got the Jacksonville State Gamecocks at Dope Campbell Stadium, Bobby Bowden Field this week at 8 p.m. Eastern. I will not be in attendance, but Heath, buddy, saw you're going. Stoked for you, man. You and the wife are going to have a blast. And it's on September 11th. And again, look, I have my platform, so I'm allowed to say things when I want to say them. Sometimes it makes people go, please don't talk. But just take a second. I'm not going to give you some long speech, but when you're there on September 11th, you look at that flag. Just take a minute. When you're walking up the stairs and your legs are cramping, think about the folks that walked up 60, 70 flights of stairs and never came back down. It's been 20 years, but, you know, it changed our lives forever and, just if you listen to this and you're a first responder or you're the family of a first responder or hopefully not, but if you know you knew or were with anyone who was lost on that day, our hearts will go out to you and our thoughts and prayers will be with you that day. But just, just think about that while you're in the stadium. After that, we've got Wake Forest. We go up on the road to Truist Field in Winston-Salem. We come back two days after my 29th birthday to take on the Louisville Cardinals Syracuse orange on the October 2nd and then kind of the, I mean, it is the midpoint of the season and Drake, we've said this is the litmus barometer of where this team really is at North Carolina, but we didn't just watch one game on Sunday. We watched our game and then we watched a bunch of other games and now that has to change some expectations, right? Like, I'm going to let you go first because I have my own opinions and I've been talking for too long. So what's your adjusted projected win total for this leg? And how do you, how does that compare to where you had it before? So when we did our little preview schedule breakdown, you had it at eight and four. I had it at nine and three. Uh, I had us actually beating both Notre Dame and North Carolina actually before the season started. The way it adjusted for me, obviously we didn't beat Notre Dame. 
I feel actually a lot more confident, you know, playing at a team like a North Carolina. I also feel a lot more confident playing a team like Louisville, especially after watching the god-awful showing of Scott Satterfield, because you know, trust me, watching Scott Satterfield fail at head coaching a professional college football game is my love language. So to me, I actually am a lot more confident in playing against a team like a Wake Forest with the Sam Hartman. They look good, but outside of, you know, I think what was his name, Jakar Roberson, I'm not scared of them. North Carolina, their defense, their run defense especially, is still god-awful. I'm going to tell Kansas that to, on Friday, too, for locked on ACC, because trust me, that was something that I watched the game after I had landed, and oh, they have a lot of issues. To me, we're going to probably win it until we play Clemson, and that's kind of how I see it moving forward because the team that we saw on Sunday was probably one of the only teams that looked somewhat competent on both sides of the field, not in Alabama. Those are some bold words, and that is that is the type of fandom we come here for from Locked On Seminoles. I think for me, yeah, I look, I'd said I think we go – Five and one in the stretch, optimistically. I wrote it down. I was a bit hyped up by Drake. I, I thought we'd oh, I beat have, yeah. Notre Dame, lose to Carolina, but I, I'd like to adjust that. I mean, I think, for me, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Syracuse, if I'm being honest with myself, I thought two and one would be a good stretch in those three games, and now I don't. I I legitimately, it's, it's gone from I think we could win, go three and oh there, and we should go two and one in that stretch of Wake, Louisville, Syracuse. To I think we should go four and zero. Oh, Wake, Louisville, Syracuse, North Carolina. You look at Wake, and they're going to give us some trouble in the trenches. I mean, they've got Zach Tom, who is a great left tackle. He's strong against the run. He's strong against the pass. But that's against Old Dominion. He's got to go up against a guy named Kier Thomas. And when Kier Thomas gets tired of being on that side of the field, he's going to do a little flippity-floppity with a guy named Jermaine Johnson. And while he's getting a lot of, you know, a lot of praises right now, we'll see how that offensive line feels when they get introduced to the absolute savages we have on the D-line. If they can't move us around, I just, I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I, I here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to take one game that we did lose. We lost. That's the truth. I can, I can see it with empirical evidence, 41-38, and say, oh, yeah, now we're going to beat everyone we ever play. But I don't see how we lose to a team like Wake Forest. Like, for the first time, I feel like how I felt before of we're Florida State, you're not, this is going to be a beatdown because we said so. And I just, part of me feels like that's just the attitude that's, that was permeating off the field when we were down 38-20 to 20 and decided, hey, let's get this thing to overtime. Yeah, see, I don't, now, you and Dave, because you've you been Land fans much longer than I have, I don't permeate to the, you know, the feeling, you know, just because we are Florida State, we are going to beat you. That being said, this Florida State team should go 5-0 and for the rest until, sorry, 6-0 and up until Clemson, primarily because, like you said, Wake Forest opened up against Old Dominion. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember who, who do they play next week? I'm trying to think at the top of my tongue. They played Norfolk State. They played no one, yeah. Yeah, they play normal. So they're going to play two, you know, cupcake tune-up games. That's fine, but you're going to have to play pace. Uh, you're going to have to face a real team the week after against us. Then Louisville, like I said before, Malik Cunningham shows that how he is not developed at all as a passer, and they can't even rely on Juwan can't pass as his backup because he's gone. He oh no, Louisville's two. awful. Louisville's, Louisville's awful. Crady yeah. is one of my best work friends. I, and honestly, I'd say a really good friend of mine, Mister Crady himself. He's a big Louisville guy. And I hope he's listening because I know he loves the sound of my voice. 
but they suck at football this year. I mean, they're not good. That Ole Miss yeah, team, bad. you can say what you want about the Lane train. Lane Kiffin wasn't coaching. Lane Kiffin, as you said, he's only been there two years or one year. It's not like that. It's not like if, Al, if Nick Saban's out and that system is so installed that like Nick Saban could probably not be on the sidelines for any game and his team would still win seven to nine games a season. And they got absolutely embarrassed. I mean, they didn't, they were, they were, they weren't in that game when it started. They weren't in that game at the end of the first. They were never in the game. I can keep naming random times throughout the game, but that's not why y'all listen. So the real question mark for me in leg one or leg two, I apologize, is going to be UNC. Because I, I said from the beginning, the reason that I thought UNC was going to be bad was because they lost all of their yardage from behind the line of scrimmage and their running backs. And I don't believe Sam Howell is a very good quarterback when he does not have great running backs to keep the pressure off of it. What I watched them do on Friday night against Virginia Tech followed that exact script. And for me, at least, Drake, tell me if you feel the same. Like, betting is a great example of this, right? There's a difference between, oh, I think this team's probably better than this team. And then they win. You're like, yeah, I was kind of right. And being able to basically script out why this team's going to beat this team and how they're going to do it. And then that game following that script. So to me, that tells me, hey, yeah, I think I was probably right. But I also know that Mac Brown's put together a darn good operation up there. Sam Howell was recruited the way he was recruited for a reason. They've had the success they've had for a reason. So I'm not ready to write them off yet because we don't play them for six weeks. And it might be a very different team that we're playing up at Chapel Hill than we saw on Friday. It's going to be a very different team. But like I said before earlier in the show that typically at the beginning of the season, your offense is always going to be lagging behind your defense. The problem is that defense for UNC was absolutely horrid. They were not good at all whatsoever. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. Braxton Burmeister looked like a damn Heisman candidate out there. Uh, and to me, actually, no, I'm going to take a quote from Canton Gaze from Locked on Wolfpack that that man could not hit the water if he was throwing it on the beach at all, period. And the fact that he actually was able to keep them, they kept UNC in the game the entire game. It was a 10-17 game. Now, granted, I know you're not big on Sam Howell. Me seeing him throw 70 touchdown passes in his first two years in the ACC as a true freshman and a true sophomore. I mean, regardless, I don't care you know who your weapons are. That's extremely impressive. I think he's top three actually in the ACC all time for that. They are going to be a different team moving forward. And also, if you look at the game, they have, I think, five to six drops overall from the tight ends and wide receiving positions. But I always pointed this out. Some things in life are destined to never happen. Me and Rihanna are never going to happen, except I will be dreaming that till the day I die. Don't be so hard on yourself, bud. Mac Brown is 0-7 against Florida State as a head coach. To me, that's something that will never, ever change. And I will stick to that. I don't care if there's no logic behind that whatsoever. Just something's never meant to happen. It's a trend. I love trends. That's why I love gambling. So I know it went 12 and 3 in my picks for ACC last, uh, last week. So to me, UNC, I'm already talking that was a dub. So yeah, man. And look, I, I hope you're right. I just, that what, what you're saying is what I'm saying, right? I, as much as I can't stand Sam Howell, the reality is he threw for 7,400 yards in two years. He's got 69 touchdowns to his name. But the other reality is he threw seven picks last year. He threw seven picks the year before. He threw three in game one of this year. So he's yeah, already halfway to his interception total for the past two years. 
By the way, I hope he does well at the Saints. I don't know why I didn't really love rooting for Tampa Jameis. I hope humbled New Orleans Jameis does well. But we've seen a quarterback regress in front of our own eyes and not perform the way he did the year before. Not saying that's happening to Howell, but it sure looked like it was on Friday. And folks, I think that's going to kind of do it for today. Speak. Oh, one last thing. Speaking of trends, Florida State just ended a skid. We were one and eight against the spread in non-conference games, and we are now two and eight in our last ten. So well done, guys. Uh, folks, I'm really fired up for this year. I know it's probably just the high wearing off of Sunday, and that we will come back down to earth at some point. The, the reality is, we're not going to win 10 games this year, which means there's going to be more losses. But if our losses can look more like the loss looked Sunday and a lot less like the losses looked last year, well, sign me up for it. Subscribe, follow, whatever I have to do to know that we are on our way back to greatness. I'm Max. That was Drake. And this was Locked On Seminoles. Take care, everybody. Please call me Rihanna. She might, dude, if you keep asking. Just keep asking.